we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, this is us, right? It would not be Westlake if we didn't have some glitches every now and then. Uh, good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here at Lake Forest uh, at our Westlake Church here. And let me just add my welcome uh, to Angela. Angela, thanks for your warmth this morning. Uh, I, I just thought I'd start with a question. How did your team do yesterday? All right. How many, how many, if you, if you were on the winning side of your team, just shoot that hands up. Just shoot, yeah, yeah, all right. And then the rest of you guys like me, right, uh, your team just didn't even show up to the game yesterday. As My team did not even show up. I can't wait for basketball season. UCLA, go Bruins. Um, well, you know, the fall is a fun time. Football back in action. I just love this season. And uh, I know many of you are coaches as well. Uh, and just what a, what a fun time of year, right? Fall is uh, such, such an exciting time to be alive. And, uh, uh, you know, fall is a big time for us at church. We, by the way, are just uh, a little over four years old. So Angela's actually almost been here the entire time. Uh, but we are just a little over four years old. And this is an important season for us because the fall is a season where we're looking for some new folks to join the team and get on the field. Uh, this does not happen without you. We are a scrappy, what's called a scrappy setup church. All of this gets set up every Sunday, the kids' rooms, the chairs, the stage, the sound, all of it's set up every Sunday, packed up every Sunday into trailers, and that happens because of the faithful service of uh, our, our share teams. And I wanted to give you a challenge and an invitation. As you came in, there was a card, looks just like this on your seat. Go ahead and take this out. Everybody hold this up. Hold this up. Make, I, I need to know you have one. All right, everybody got one of these. I want to give a little friendly challenge here for just a minute. Because if you don't currently have a place to serve, you are going to eventually get tired of me talking about it. Because we are a church that believes in serving. Serving is not an option for us. Service is who we are. Jesus said, the greatest in my kingdom are those who choose to serve others. And so, uh, you know, look, I, I, I'm being silly about it. Sometimes we come out of places where we just need to rest. And, and if that's you, you, you do that. If you're in a recovery season and you need to sit on the bench and just catch your breath, you do that. But if, you've, if you're rested and you're ready, we've got some opportunities. We need your help. And we've got some great opportunities for you to get on a team. I want to highlight just two of them here. The transformation team. That's the team that sets all this up, packs up. We are looking for six people. We need six people who would be willing to serve twice a month for an hour after the second service here. You're going to be with others packing up, getting all this stuff put away. Uh, we are moving towards a permanent building. When uh, God be praised, we will not have to do setup anymore. But we are a little ways away from that still. And we're needing some fresh energy on that. And if that's you, you could check that box. Kidtropolis is looking for some heroes. If you are willing to pour into the lives of our children here at Westlake, one hour a week, twice a month is all it takes. Check that box, sign up. Don't miss out this fall in joining one of our share teams and making a difference here at Westlake. A little bit later on after my message, uh, in about three hours, we'll pass the gene pocket. That was a joke. We'll pass the gene pocket. You can drop this in at that time and know that we will follow up on you. Make sure your name and email or name and phone number is on there. Heck, you don't even have to put your name. Just put your email on there. We'll, we'll get you on that team, right? Well, uh, we're continuing today in our series called This Is Us. Uh, whether you're a fan of the show or not, what we all know about this show is it has tapped into something in our culture like no other show has in a long time. This is not the Brady Bunch. This is not Leave it to Beaver. Something about this show has captured the reality, the beauty, the messiness of human relationships. 
especially those relationships that are closest to us. And in this series, we're looking at what the Bible has to say about those relationships in our lives, why those relationships matter, and how we can do those relationships well. Uh, today, we come to a very, very important topic, a question I want to throw right out, right up front is, how do we form relationships? How do we find relationships that will last? How do we form relationships that will go the distance? I was getting lunch with a friend a couple weeks ago at a burger joint in the Charlotte area. And uh, we, we had just sat down and, and our server came over. She was a young gal, I think probably in, in her mid to late 20s. And, and I saw a tattoo on her arm right here. It caught my attention. And it read, love never fails. Have you heard that before? Love never fails. And so, um, like a creepy pastor that I am, I took a photo of it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't do that. I did not do that. I didn't do that. This is not the real one. But she, this is just to give you a picture. She had it right here on her arm. And, and after we had ordered the burger, jalapenos, cheese, yes, bacon, yes, of course. And then uh, I said, hey, t- tell me the story behind the tattoo. And she said, uh, well, you know, honestly, she said, um, this is the love I'm looking for, but I haven't found it yet. Isn't that interesting? And then she said, do you want fries with that? And I said, yes, of course, I want fries with that. Uh, And we didn't talk about it anymore, but I walked away from that interaction. I could not help thinking about that line, love never fails. A love that never fails. Is such a love actually possible? The Proverbs says it really interestingly. It says a lot of guys will boast about a love that does not fail. But where can you find a faithful person? Proverbs 20, verse 4. Where can you find someone whose faithfulness will not fail? Where can you find a relationship that will go the distance and not give up? So we live in a kind of a funny day and age, don't we? We we live in a day and age of what one writer called easy goodbyes. And just that phrase almost captures it, right? We, we live in a world of easy goodbyes. We're so quick to, to say goodbye. We're so quick to leave. Early. We're so quick to move on. Our culture is constantly changing. We're constantly moving, constantly relocating. And there's this reluctance because wouldn't it just be wiser to never form an attachment? I mean, wouldn't it be easier just to never love? Because then I would never have to risk losing. And yet when we live that way, or when we try to live that way, there's something inside of us, like that server, that that cries out, that says, no, 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 I, I was created for more than this. I was created to experience a relationship that lasts. I was created to experience a friendship that lasts, a marriage that lasts, a sibling relationship that lasts. Because after all, isn't that what we all want? Don't we want relationships that go the distance? Well, today I want to talk about uh, what I'm going to call the lost art of faithfulness. The lost art of faithfulness. Because what the Bible's going to have to say to us, it has a lot to say about this, is that the key ingredient to a relationship that goes the distance is this old-fashioned word, faithfulness. Now, a lot of people hear that word faithfulness and they think, oh, well, that, that, that just means not cheating. Actually, the word faithfulness means way, way more than just not doing stuff. The word faithfulness is one of the most important words in the entire Bible. In fact, the ancient Hebrews, uh, when they were looking for a way to describe God, looking for a way to describe the love of God, they landed on this ancient Hebrew word, hesed. Everyone say hesed. Ready? 
Hesed. All right, did you spit on the person in front of you? you, if you then you, you said it right. Hesed. Hesed is one of the most important words in all of the scriptures. And again and again, this word shows up over and over and over as a way of describing God's love. Uh, it says it in Lamentations. It says, the faithful love, the Hesed love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You see, hesed is, is a word. We don't really have an English equivalent for it. it it's this never-ending, relentless, dogged, tenacious, kindness, mercy, and love of the Father. Hesed, you get a feel for that? It's a love that never fails. So how can we experience that kind of love in our relationship? Is it even possible for us to experience, to share a Hesed love with one another? That's what I want to explore with you today. And I want to do it by looking at a story in the Bible of someone whose life is marked by faithfulness, whose life is marked by Hesed. Uh, this story is found in the book of Ruth. It's a book in the Old Testament. Uh, about a remarkable young woman who shares that same name. Now, some of you all, uh, y'all Bible people or y'all churchy people, you've heard of this Ruth before. In fact, you've probably heard sermons about Ruth. And you might, when you think of Ruth, you probably think like dating advice, right? Like three steps to finding my bow, or in her case, three steps to finding my Boaz, right? Um, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, that's about it. But you see, though Ruth will eventually marry her beau. Oh, that's like the days of our lives. Wasn't it Bo on Days of Our Lives, the motorcycle guy? I should have written that in the sermon. That would have been funnier. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> though she does eventually marry her beau, her Boaz, that's not actually what the story's about. Did you know that? That's almost an afterthought. The key relationship in Ruth's story is the relationship she has with her mother-in-law. All the mother-in-laws out there, raise your hands. Own it. Come on, mother-in-laws, own it, own it. All right, here we go. This is about y'all and Ruth. So Ruth, Ruth uh, has this relationship with her mother-in-law. And what the story says when it reaches its climax is, you know what word describes Ruth's relationship with her mother-in-law? Hesed. Isn't that surprising? Boaz says it himself. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, this last Hesed greater than the first. The reason Boaz fell in love with Ruth was because he saw the Hesed love she showed to her mother-in-law, the mother of her first husband. So, what do we have to learn from this story? Well, let me, let me give us a little bit of background, because some of you all may know parts of this. If you don't know anything, that's okay. I'm going to give you everything today. Let me set up some background, and then we're going to jump into this story. Uh, Naomi is married, that's the mother-in-law, Naomi is married to a guy named Elimelech, kind of like the mighty jungle, right, in the jungle, the mighty jungle, Elimelech, 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 so Naomi and Elimelech, that was pretty good, I, that was good, that was, I got I, that one makes me laugh, uh, Naomi and Elimelech are, are, are living in the promised land, right, they're living in Judah, that's, that's the land that God had led his people to. And you can picture this. It's kind of on the western side of a lake, of a body of water. But there's a famine in that land. And so they have to make the trek from the western side of that sea 
to the eastern side, to a foreign country called Moab. And so they trek all the way over, and, and it's quite a trek. They, we believe they trekked as many as 80 miles to get to this other land. And it's kind of, you can think of it this way, it's kind of like walking from Denver on the western side to Concord, that foreign strange country over there, right? You get a feel for that? On foot, they go. So Limelech and, and uh, Naomi get over there, and they have two sons, and their two sons marry two Moabite women, two foreign women in that land. Eventually, these, uh, these two women are named Orpah and Ruth. Orpah, in case you're looking for a good girl's baby name there. Um, <laughs> they live there for 10 years. They have no children. But eventually, the two sons and Naomi's father die. I mean, this is like an episode of This Is Us right here, right? Naomi is left with nothing. All she has is these two daughter-in-laws. And in the ancient world, my friends, that does not amount to much. Naomi hears a rumor that there's food back in her home country. So she decides to release her daughter-in-laws. And then she's going to make the 80-mile trek from Concord all the way back over to Denver again. This is where our story picks up in verse 8 of chapter 1. Let me read this to you. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law, excuse me, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you hesed, kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband, Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Now, time out here for a second. At first, these girls do exactly what culture would have expected them to do. They're going to say the politically correct, the polite thing to say here. Oh, Naomi, we'll go back with you, right? To which Naomi is supposed to say, No, 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 you go back to your land, right? This is just kind of how it's supposed to go. And Naomi knows it. She gets it. She knows how relationships work in this world. She knows what easy goodbyes are all about. Relationships are a tit for tat. People are only committed so long as that relationship pays dividends, so long as it meets their needs. So so Naomi says, look, go home. Why are you going to stick with me? I don't have anything more to offer you. And then she makes this little joke. This is Bible humor. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain remain unmarried for them? Naomi is chuckling here. She's like, who do you think this is? This is not Demi Moore and Ashton Kutcher. It's not going to happen. (laughs) And then the turning point comes. Verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah, look at the easy goodbye. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but... But Ruth clung to her. Now, this is not the clinginess of a five-year-old who doesn't want to get into a dentist chair. This is not the clinginess of your pastor when he's riding the roller coaster and screaming his head off in fear. 
This is an altogether different kind of clinging. The word here, clung, actually means to cleave, to join to, to glue, to stick with. It's the ultimate commitment word. It's the same word used in Genesis chapter 2 when it speaks of a husband and wife becoming one flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So with the time we have left, I want to look at three things, three things that we learn from Ruth about faithfulness. And I want to build off this idea of clinging, of sticking with. Three things that make relationships stick. Did you get it? That was pretty lame, but that's a pastor thing. So three things that make relationships cleave, cling to one another. Each of these based on Ruth's life that might have something to teach us. First thing is this. First thing we learn about relationships that stick, relationships that go the distance that sticky relationships are based on a promise. Sticky relationships are based on a promise. What do I mean? Well, look at what happens next in the story. Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people with her gods. She's doing the wise thing. Go back with her. But Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And then she makes this promise. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is quite a remarkable promise, isn't it? Have you ever made a promise like this to someone in your life? It's actually a kind of vow. It almost has a ceremonial tone to it, almost like a wedding vow. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of officiating hordes of weddings. I used to do ministry with young adults in Los Angeles, and I had a wedding every other week. It was awesome. I mean, I've married people in the mountains, married people on the beach. I had one couple that wanted to do the wedding on surfboards, and then they learned that I was going to be the one doing it. We were like, okay, let's just do it. go back to the beach. You know, we don't want to have the pastor to drown in the waves. One of the funny things that I've noticed, though, in these last couple of years is this trend towards people writing their own vows. And, and I think this is great. I love that people are wanting to personalize it, but occasionally you'll get a very odd kind of marriage vow, right? In fact, I was remembering one that I had once. Uh, this was the promise they made to each other. It said, I will love you so long as our love shines like the sun in our hearts. I thought, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, what happens when it's overcast or raining, right? Like, just... <laughs> This is where we're just done, right? I mean, you get the sentiment, but, it, but it's almost, it doesn't have any substance. It's almost too much, forgive me, up in the clouds. But the ancient vows were different. In fact, the vows in the four centuries old Book of Common Prayer are much more grounded, aren't they? In sickness and in health, in riches or in poverty. As my wife says, she's still waiting for the riches part. <laughs> Till death do us part. I mean, those are sober commitments, aren't they? Ruth is making a wedding like thou here. She even adds, till death do us part at the end. 
You see, Ruth's promise is void of sentimentality. She says, I don't know what the future holds, but here's what I know. My decision is already made. I'm going to stick with you. I don't know what troubles are going to come, but my decision is already made. I'm going to stick it out with you. You see, a promise is not simply wishful thinking. A promise is an appointment I make with myself for the future. I may not know what the future will bring, but I already know what my decision will be. That's how a vow works. That's how a promise works. The great philosopher and theologian Lewis Smedes describes it this way. He says, when you make a promise, you have created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. Isn't that a beautiful image? I mentioned a few weeks ago that my wife and I just celebrated our 20th year of marriage. And I was thinking about this. When we got married, I was a jungle of unpredictability. I had hair down to my shoulder blades. I had Bon Jovi earrings in both ears. I was playing in a wannabe uh, grunge band. and, And I had no idea what she saw in me. But here's the thing. We are very different people today than we were 20 years ago, weren't we? The man that she married 20 years ago is not the same man here. He might be a better man. He might be a worse man. I don't know. She could tell you, but he is not the same man. And yet we buy into this idea that somehow when we make a commitment, that person is now obligated to stay the same, but, but the future might look very different. My promise is not contingent upon that person. It's contingent upon an appointment I made with myself for a decision in the future that is already made today. Now, many of us, I just need to say a quick pause. Many of us have been wounded by someone who broke a promise like that in our lives. Many of us have broken promises and wounded others. But today, today is a new day. The faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. So what would it look like for you today to make good on your promises. Who are the people you've made promises to in your life? Your children, your spouse, your friends. What would it look like to honor those promises? First thing we learned from Ruth is that relationships that stick, relationships that go the distance are based on a promise. Point number two is this. Point number two, sticky relationships, relationships that go the distance, are formed, formed, they're made through perseverance. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now there's a subtle point in this little section that we can miss, but there is so much happening in this one line. Ruth and Naomi, remember, are two women that are going to set out on an 80-mile journey through the desert of Moab around the northern edge of the Dead Sea and into the Promised Land back to Bethlehem 3,000 years ago. It's interesting. There's a metaphor here because it's the exact same journey that Joshua made centuries before when he led God's people across the Jordan and into the Promised Land. 
Only Ruth and Naomi don't have the armies of God. They don't have the ark of God. They don't have the tabernacle. They only have each other in God's presence. And they make this 80-mile trek. You see, the one thing they had on this journey was their commitment to one another, their promise. And though, though Ruth was tempted to turn back, though she had every opportunity to go back to the familiar, she did, never does. She denies it. She clings to Naomi. She sticks with her and pushes on even in the face of great difficulty. It's interesting, in our culture, when relationships get tough, when we enter into relational deserts together, we often see that as a sign that there's something wrong with the relationship. Maybe this isn't the right person. Maybe this isn't the friendship for me. This is requiring work. This is getting hard. There's a little bit of conflict. I must have picked the wrong person. Let me go back to Moab and find another companion to make the journey with. See, it's interesting. But what we learn is that relationships are formed not in spite of difficulty, but in persevering through it. In fact, when psychologists talk about relationships, they talk about three common stages in every relationship. This is true of a friendship, this is true of a marriage, it's true of a family. Three common stages, and you will know many of these. The first stage is the what? Honeymoon stage. Some of you all know this, the honeymoon stage. You remember what the honeymoon stage is, right? That's when everything feels like an umbrella drink on the beach in Cancun. And you're like, can we just live here, right? Can we just set up shop? I'll just stay in this lawn chair and somebody will keep bringing me umbrella drinks. That's the honeymoon stage. It's easy. It's supposed to be. And a lot of us, we just want to stay there. Whether it's a friendship or a marriage, we think that the goal is to stay in the honeymoon stage. But actually, it's just the first step. It's just the first stage. Every relationship eventually reaches the end of its honeymoon and must transition into the next stage. The next stage is called the stage of disillusionment. Don't you love that word? Disillusionment. It means exactly what it sounds like. The illusion that we were living in in the honeymoon phase has now faded away. Anyone feel my pain right now, right? Okay. Newly married, it is coming. It is coming your way. You have something to look forward to. This is where we begin to realize... This seriously, this is where you begin to realize that the long-haired grunge rocker guy is actually just another imperfect human being like the rest of you. And he's not always the easiest to live with. The disillusionment stage is marked by conflict, by struggle, or by adversity. It's not always that the struggle is between them. Sometimes it's an adversity that is facing both of them, that comes their way, and their relationship is tested. That's the disillusionment phase. But if they push through, if they cling to one another, if they stick with it, eventually they reach the third stage, what psychologists call the stage of stability, or what I like to call the stage of thriving. When a friendship or a marriage pushes through the hard times, it reaches the third stage of stability where it can finally be marked by mutual sacrifice, mutual love, and a deep, deep, deep trust. See, our culture wants insta-relationships. We want to be able to microwave them. We send our kids off to school. They come home. We say, did you make any new friends? But we mean something markedly different than a relationship that lasts. So we ask that, don't we? It is only as we journey together through the difficult times that we discover deep, lasting, and meaningful relationships. 
fact, uh, I don't have notes on this, but uh, my wife and I, as part of our 20th anniversary, we, we spent some time reflecting on some of the things that have helped us make it this far. We aren't doing it perfectly, but just have helped us make it this far. And we identified seven things, seven conversations that we think really shaped us. And so we're, we're actually doing uh, a group this fall here at Westlake for couples, engaged couples or couples in their first seven years of marriage. We're calling it the first seven. Because oftentimes it takes five to seven years for a married couple to reach the other side, to reach that stage of stability. It's not easy, but we can do it together. The first thing we learned from Ruth is that relationships, sticky relationships, relationships that last, are rooted in a promise. The second is that these relationships are formed through perseverance. And third and finally, sticky relationships, relationships that last, are rooted in grace. Ruth and Naomi finally or eventually reach Bethlehem. And just as the rumor had promised, there is food there. There's grain. The harvest is plentiful. The only problem is Ruth and Naomi are amongst the poorest of the poor. They have nothing. So Ruth has to do what any poor person in that day had to do if she wanted to eat. She had to go and what's called glean, follow behind the farm workers and pick up little kernels that they dropped or left behind. And so the story progresses and tells us that Ruth promises Naomi, she says, I'm going to go glean, I will be back. And Ruth goes out and she's in the field risking her own life, gathering as much as she can for herself and for Naomi. And then in the midst of this, the most surprising thing happens. Boaz shows up. And she's invited to a meal with the farm workers. And our story picks up here. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. Interesting, wine and bread. When she sat down with the harvesters, he, that's Boaz, offered her some roasted grain. She ate how much? All she wanted. And even had some leftover. It's an amazing picture here of grace because Ruth has done nothing to deserve this favored treatment. And yet God has provided for her. She's been brought into this banquet table and it's not just a little bit of food. She eats all that she wants to the point of overflowing, to the point of an abundance. Does that sound familiar to any of you? And she gathers this abundance up and she stores away. She goes back to gleaning. And look what happens next. Ruth gleaned that evening in the field. And then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. You see, the picture that we get here is a picture of grace. Ruth has been given an abundance. And it is out of that abundance that she now shares with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And I want to be very clear at this, because at every turn, Ruth has chosen to sacrifice for her mom. At every turn, she has chosen to be faithful. She's chosen to show hesed love. But it is now that someone else is showing hesed love to Ruth, that now she is able to give out of that hesed love to her mother-in-law. And this is the picture of God's hesed love in our life. 
because God has shown Ruth his faithfulness. She is now empowered to show that faithfulness to Naomi. Because Ruth has experienced the Hesed love of God, she is now able to show that Hesed love to Naomi. And it's the same invitation for you and me today. See, the truth is, on our own, we will not be faithful. On our own, we will make promises and we will keep some of them and we will break others. We will not keep every promise. On our own, there will be times that we persevere and there will be times that we turn back. We simply are not faithful on our own. But when our lives become marked by God's faithfulness, we are given a supernatural ability through His Spirit to share that same Hesed love with those in our lives. That is the only way, my friend, the only way that our lives, our relationships can be marked by Hesed love because of Jesus. Do you think Ruth had any idea of what was to come? Ruth would eventually meet her Boaz. It's a romance story. You should read it sometime. It's great. And they would have a son. That son would be the grandfather of King David in the lineage of another baby child that would one day be born in Bethlehem, the city of bread. And that Jesus, like Ruth, but in a perfect and complete way, would sacrifice himself to show you and me the Hesed love of God, that we might show that love to one another out of the abundance of love that he has given us. So the challenge today, the invitation today, is where do you need God to fill you with his love that you might love those closest to you with a Hesed kind of love? Let's pray.